the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Pew Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. You got it right this week. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you put a 225 in front of that number, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from folks all around the country and, of course, all around town. Just give us a call. Could That's not it. be easier. And right now is the perfect time to call. Well, always at the beginning of the show is the most desirable time to call in. If nothing else, we've got more time to spend right. uh, with you. We don't have to kind of rush you because we've got five lines holding and somebody waiting up to against kick a us break out. Yeah. Or, yeah, ready to get off. And no, that, but our minds are a little fresher. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't been exhausted by, <laughs> there you go. by all the other folks who've called in. So, yeah, give us a call, 291-6901. And like every week, we try to have some sort of a basic topic uh-huh. or outline that we kind of chit-chat about between the calls. But, of course, you're never, ever limited to what we're talking about. Not at all. Whatever may happen to be bugging you, you give us a call. We're glad to try to get you going or get you stopped. Whichever it may be. <laughs> <laughs> Whichever the criteria may be. There you go. Yeah, I thought we'd talk a little bit this morning about names and things in the automotive business and how they are different, not only from one manufacturer to another, but maybe even from one model to another. Right. And how much confusion this causes. And we get it a lot of times when we're trying to order parts. For instance, one common part that we replace a lot, particularly on General Motors and Ford vehicles, Mm -hmm. is called an actuator. Which is the little motor that turns the door inside of the air conditioning box. Right. Now, that is one type of actuator. There are many, many, many on a car. But one of the most common, like you said, is the ones that go in the air conditioning and heating system, HVAC system. Right. And for GM or Ford, it's called either a temperature actuator or mode actuator. Right. Or a recirculation actuator or whatever. But now, if you call one of the Japanese manufacturers like Honda or maybe Toyota, and you ask for a temperature actuator, they're totally confused. They don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Because Honda calls it an air mix motor. Right. Which I don't know if one's (laughs) right or one's wrong. It's just two different names that they've come up with for for basically the same component. component, But where the confusion comes in is for a shop like us that works on a number of different cars. For instance, if you were working in a Honda dealership and you only work on Hondas, and all the technicians know it by that name. Right. And they come up to the parts counter and ask for it by that name. And customers come in and they say, well, I want this little part right here. And they point to it. It's really not a big issue. However, when you're dealing with several different manufacturers and you go to all the part, you're going to use the name that is, is most, most common to you, for instance. And we get this a lot. I'll call and say, look, I'm looking for a temperature actuator. What's that? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the little motor that opens the door when you work. The, oh, you're talking about air mix motor. <laughs> right. Just a different name. A different name for the same basic component. Right. Now, the other side of that coin, and there's always another side to the coin, sure. <laughs> is where you've got two components that look very, very similar. They may be installed in the same location, but they are totally different. Exactly. A and- common example is like your oxygen sensor and your air fuel sensor. Right. They both look exactly the same. They both screw in the manifold, have wire pigtail that comes out of them. They plug into the harness. They look exactly the same, but they do two different things. Well, and technically, they do the same thing. They help regulate the air fuel mixture, but they do it in a totally different method. One of them, when it gets rich, think on the oxygen sensor, as the readings get richer, the voltage goes up. On an air fuel sensor, as the readings get richer, it voltage goes down. Right. 
So they operate totally different. An air fuel sensor is much, much more complex than an oxygen sensor. And, you know, we were talking about that. I, we saw a, a vehicle came in that somebody had been working on, and they changed the air fuel mixture sensor. Mm-hmm. Noticed that it didn't plug back into the harness. Right. So they ended up cutting the wires off the old one, soldered them onto the new one, and cooked it back up. And well, they got it a, just confused they the got computer an aftermarket, out. Yeah, right. got an aftermarket sensor, which may or may not even come with a pigtail. I don't know. But anyway, they did get it wired in there. It burned up the PCM. That was right. a little Honda. Right. And once we diagnosed that the PCM was burned up, we started looking for why. Started looking for why. Exactly. Noticed the circuit and noticed that someone had put an oxygen sensor in place of an air fuel sensor, which was the root cause of the whole problem. Yep. And ended up a very, very, very expensive repair for nothing. It shouldn't have ever happened, but it yeah. can. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, it can. Let's go to our phone lines. James, good morning, James. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Doing wonderful. Doing great. I have a problem with my brake. When I'm hitting the brakes, it's pulling to the right and it's getting a vibrate. Okay. okay, what kind of car is it, James? It's a GMC 2500 pickup truck. Okay, a number of things will cause that, James. What you need to do, if you're very careful in your test drive, you can get a lot of information. For instance, if you hit the brake and just kind of stay on it, notice first if it darts to the right, and then if you continue to hold, does it keep pulling harder and harder right, or does it dart to the right and straighten back up? Because that'll give you a little bit of information of where to start looking for instance if it kind of darts over to the right but if you continue to brake it'll pull back straight that's normally a restriction on the fluid pressure something like a brake hose will cause that and as the fluid doesn't go through the hose fast enough because it's partially restricted and so one side applies the other side does not apply as fast and it'll dart over to the side that's applying but then the pressure will eventually build up and it'll pull back straight so okay. if that's the way it feels, and you got to specifically be looking for that because that's a subtle difference, mm-hmm. then I would suspect the hose and probably the hose opposite the side that it's pulling to. Because what a lot of people will go in and say, well, it's pulling right, so I'll change the right hose, and that didn't fix it. What's wrong? Well, think about it. What happens if the right brake applies and the left brake does not apply, it's going to pull right because that wheel's trying to stop and the other wheel's not. So it's kind of backwards from what you're thinking. Now, if it kind of pulls and the harder you brake, the harder it pulls. Now you're probably into a different situation. Something like a caliper that's hanging up can cause that. Something like a mismatch in the brake material I've seen where one pad is just a little bit different from the other. Even the rotors can cause that. Now, Okay, sort of a, I did have to change the rotors on one side. Okay, well, if you put one new rotor with one older rotor, that can definitely cause that issue. And an easy way to diagnose that, James, it won't cost you anything other than a little time, is just take it apart, take the rotor that you put on, move it to the other side, and put that rotor on this side and go drive it. If it pulls the other way, then you've confirmed that is the problem. Okay. okay? And then from that point... If it doesn't, then swap the pad side to side. And see if that affects it. Just see what affects it. Now, one last thing. If you hit the brakes and it sort like the steering wheel turns in your hand, that a lot of times is like a loose suspension component and not the brakes at all. The brakes are just bringing it on. Something like a lower control arm bushing that's worn out or a brake compliance bushing that's worn out, what happens when you apply the brakes, that wheel wants to stop and the body of the truck wants to keep going. So the wheel may move back. And if it moves back, it's going to pull that way. So there's a number of things, and the test drive, uh, 
where a professional technician has kind of advantage over you is he's driven thousands of vehicles and he knows all these little subtleties. So just by the test drive, he kind of knows what he's going after. But okay. If you, but if if you'll pay attention to that, it'll put you in the right direction. And then try those things that I told you. Remember, most of the components, at least on a Chevy pickup, are the same side to side. So okay. the easy, cheapest way to do it is just start moving stuff side to side and see when the pull changes. The brake hoses okay. are different. Yeah, the, the there, brake hoses a, may be different. The hoses themselves, there's a left and a right on a Chevy truck. But as far as the rotors, the pads, the pads the rotors. all that can be moved. The calipers cannot be moved right. because they're specific left and right. But the other two components can. And by, by moving those, you can kind of diagnose it yourself. Well, yeah, what like I would do saying. first is I would probably move the rotors yeah. side to side and see if the pull changes. And if it does not, move the pad side to side. Okay, if I take it to a shop, is that going to be expensive? It could bill? possibly be, but most likely not. I mean, the most expensive possibility would be the ABS control unit has a stuck valve in it. Now, that is fairly expensive to address, but most of the time that's not going to be the case. You know, the other stuff is more common. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, guys. All right, James. All thanks right. for calling, man. All right. Mm, bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to pull the automotive iron. You know, brake pulls, seems like it would be simple. You would think. But I've seen a lot of people spend an awful lot of money trying to fix that by just start changing Throwing, parts. Right, well, parts first off, it. they say, well, it must be the caliper. So they change the caliper. Well, it's still doing it. Oh, well, darn it. May, it must be in the hose. They change the hose. It's still right. doing it. And by the time they get through, they may be it and must be about a thousand bucks right <laughs> and still hadn't fixed the problem and like i said there are many 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 things i remember one time we had a pickup and someone had aligned the front end didn't tighten the upper control arm bolts enough that's back when they had shims and the shims had fallen out right and the arm the control arm would shift uh-huh. and believe it or not didn't make any noise and didn't make a bang usually that you you'll have an associated bop or bang right and you'll hear a noise but in this particular one it just didn't do that i don't know if the way the spring was in there or shock or whatever cushioned it but it was sure a pull. I've also seen like a bent lower ball joint. Sure. Where the stud will, will turn. flip around one way or the other. And those kinds of things can be very difficult to diagnose. Those are the oddities. They are the oddities. They are not the most common. Most common is a brake hose or a caliper or a friction one. Friction material. I've seen, I've seen friction material do that a good bit with the cheap materials. Now, the, the OEM materials are usually pretty good, a real good product. Maybe a handful of times in the last 30 years we've had a problem. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, that's that's the way I would go if I was doing one. And, you know, that friction material comes on huge rolls. And there's a machine that stamps it out, and then they glue or rivet it to the backing and all that. And let's say one huge roll ran out. They put the second one in, and one set of pads ended up on one on roll. one car <laughs> in the box, and another set off the other roll. And those two rolls weren't exactly the same. Uh-huh. Well, now, when you put those pads on, you may end up with, with a, brake pull. a brake pull because there is a difference in the friction material, even though they all came in the same exact box. Right. You know, that roll ends out at some point. It, it does. And when it does, they start putting one off another roll, and they may not be exactly the same, and you have no way to know that. That's it. So, hey, we're going to come back for just a little bit with a whole lot more information. On Route 66. Hey, Jim. Becky said you were in the office and, whoa, what is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy? Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes, yes it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year, except when it's on you, the time. You know there's a better way, right? 
I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, let me get Agco's number online and uh, give them a call. Is that dial-up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We sure appreciate your call. And we've got Dan's been patiently holding. Good morning, Dan. Don, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't read. Uh, yeah, gone from Baltimore. I have a question. I have a 2006 Saturn Ion. Mm -hmm. It has about 140,000 miles, and our son is the primary driver of that. Currently, our son is at college, mm -hmm. about an hour or so away, so he gets home basically whenever there's a weekend that he can get away from the school. Mm -hmm. How should we best uh, keep the car going for him? Maybe just drive the car once a week or just what? We don't want to get rid of it. But then again, my wife and I have our own vehicles that we drive. So basically the Saturn's a third vehicle. Right. I would try to drive it at least twice a week yeah. for no less than about 25 miles, Don. If you don't, what's going to happen? Things are going to start gumming up and you know you could start having trouble with it. So maybe you could substitute either one of your cars you just take it to work or take it wherever you go or just purposely try to make a trip in it but i would want to see about 25 miles twice a week to keep the battery up keep the fluid circulated keep the moisture out of all the different components on and of course when he gets home on the weekend that could be one of the you know times it's driven but it probably needs to be driven at least once during the week as well okay Okay, twice a week, about 25 miles. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Short drives or idling is probably worse than nothing at all. We got a gentleman who has a very similar situation, and what he would do is he'd crank the car up, just let it sit there and idle in the driveway, and he started having a lot of trouble with it. When he brought it in, he told me what he was doing. I said, well, you know, just sitting there idling is probably worse than not doing anything at all. Number one, at idle speed, it's not going to charge the battery because the alternator is not turning fast enough. It's also probably not really circulating things as well, and, and all the rolling-type components are not being used at all. So you just can't hardly get around operating the vehicle. So that would be my advice, at least a couple times a week, 20, 25 miles. Okay, well, I appreciate that. Pretty good. Thank you very much. All right, Don. All Thanks, right. man. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, right 291 is the number. Don can call from Baltimore, and you can call from Baton Rouge. That's it. <laughs> We're sitting here live and ready and waiting for another call. There you go. Just give us a call, and it always makes the show more interesting and kind of gets us off on tangents sometimes. There you go. You just never know. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking a little bit about terminologies uh -huh. and how they can cause confusion. And one of the things I know that we go through constantly, and the ladies that answer the phone at the shop are both pretty well trained to try to elicit this information out of people, but it's the difference between cranking and starting right there is two totally different components that are going into action there mm -hmm. when you hit the key and the engine turns over but it doesn't start running that is crank yeah and there's you'll hear a kind of a noise that's the starter motor turning if you can hear the starter motor turning but the car will not start it doesn't start running that is it cranks but will not start correct 
That is going to be some type of an engine problem. A lot of times it's a lack of fuel pressure, low fuel pressure, no could, fuel pressure. Could be ignition. Ignition, possibly. Those sorts of components are where you're going to start checking. Now, there's also where you turn the key and it does nothing at all. Or you turn the key and it just makes a, a wow, weird sound. Mm -hmm. That will not crank. Correct. Okay. And there's a, there's a starter motor, a little electric motor that when you turn the key, it turns the motor over, gets it rotating so that all the components can come into play and the car can start. Uh -huh. But the diagnosis on them, when a car will not crank, now we're looking at like batteries, cables, starter Star motors, motors right. relays, neutral safety switches, and all those kinds of things. Things that will stop the engine from turning over. Where this is really, really, really a problem is with something that's intermittent. In other words, every once in a while, you turn the key, it cranks and cranks and cranks, but it will not start. Right. So you bring it in and you tell the shop it won't crank. Well, he gets a hits the key and cranks. It cranks every time. So there's nothing he can do. So I can't duplicate the problem. He mm -hmm. gives you the car back. Another thing is where let's say you've got a cranking issue. For instance, maybe every once in a while it makes a noise and doesn't crank. It's been doing that for a long time. You're not too worried about that. But then intermittently it won't start. Well, the guy gets in the car, he turns the key, he hears what you consider normal. He says, the complaint was, will not crank. It's not cranking technically. That So he's going to diagnose that. Sure. Because that's all he knows. He doesn't know that you know that's already going on and you're ignoring it. So if you don't want to get the wrong diagnosis, you have to give the right, right information. complaint. Because those are two totally, totally separate systems. And at very least, you're going to spend a lot of money checking right. things that don't need to be checked and don't get upset with the shop if they start asking a bunch of questions right because they are trying to narrow down what is going on with this vehicle and you being the owner and the driver are the only ones that can tell him that and if you can't put it into words you just don't know how to tell him what it is get someone to go out and show them right look this is what it does turn the key see that that's it that's what it's doing now obviously if the car is just completely dead when it comes in a dead man is pretty easy to diagnose sure but sure. there can also be two separate issues there. There can. Many times we've had people come in, the car would not start, but it would crank. Mm -hmm. But they cranked it until they ran the battery dead. Right. So now it won't crank. Now it won't crank. The car comes in, they say it will not crank. You check the car, it's got a dead battery. You change the battery, now it cranks, but it won't start. Or let's say it's an intermittent no start. Right. It cranks and it starts. starts. You give them the car back, two days later, it won't start. He's mad at the shop because they just put a battery in and still doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. You can't because you said wouldn't crank. Correct. He verified that it would not crank. He solved Fixed. the problem of not cranking. He has no way to know intermittently that it, it will not start. start. He can test it several times. It starts every time, so he gives you the key. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing. It's very, very inconvenient for you. It's also inconvenient for the shop. Sure. But, again, it all starts out with using the right terminology Getting. or at least demonstrating what problem you won't solve exactly let's take a few of our All phone right. calls we've got tony on the line good morning tony good morning yes sir. Morning. Sounds like uh proper accurate communication <laughs> yeah. not, not just in your business but in very very many businesses. pretty much in every yeah. business yep also between relationships <laughs> yeah you're right <laughs> i sent you an email the other day and replied and instructed me to check your website for transmission service, the proper transmission okay. service. And I, I very much appreciate that. I plan mm -hmm. on doing that myself. O2 Explore Sport Track with 180,000 miles. Don't okay. know if it's ever been serviced. Mm -hmm. But I plan on dropping the pan, changing out the filter, and like your website suggested, uh, check the torque on the what is valve, that, body. Mm -hmm. valve body. Valve yeah. body, mm -hmm. So 
then I'll back together and drive it. Should I do, should I repeat that process again in a week or two? You could, depending on how much debris you find in the pan and how dirty the fluid is. Normally, it's not necessary. A single change is going to get about half the fluid, which if you replace half the fluid, that's generally more than adequate. Certainly, it wouldn't hurt to do it twice. You know, it would just get more of the fluid out. Now, be aware, too, on that one, Tony, there's not going to be a dipstick on that transmission. And there is, I think, in that article, it shows you how that works. There's a little plug in the center of the big plug. The big plug will drain the pan. The little plug is to check the pan, check the fluid level. This must be a different transmission you're looking at because this pan doesn't have a drain plug at all. Okay. And there is. It is a dipstick. Okay, yeah. 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 What year model is it? It's a it's a O2, and I'm told owner's manual said it's a, a 5R55E. Yeah, 5R55E. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. one would. Uh, 4R70, I think, does not. And the 4, let's see, the 5R55, there's an N and there's a there's W. A N, a S, and a W. Correct. Yeah. Some of them on the later models, they got away from the dipstick. They just took it off, and there's a little drain plug that you use to check it. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, doing it once is good. Doing it twice is probably better. It's going to get more of the fluid out. If you service on a regular basis, that's generally not necessary. But like I said, if it's gone 180,000 miles with no service, that might not be a bad precaution. And what you might want to even do is drop the pan the first time and just change the fluid. Maybe don't change the filter and go ahead and run it for a week. Then come back and change the fluid and filter. That way you've got a clean filter on there when you change it. You don't have to change the filter twice. Okay, okay. And uh, that yeah, would, that would get a lot more of it out of there. And like I said, when you get the pan off, I think there are some pictures in there that show things that are acceptable. In other words, if it's got like a black dust kind of a material yeah, in there. Kind of mud-looking material. Yeah, you could take your finger and kind of smash it, but you can't feel anything. Yeah, pretty that normal. That's probably pretty normal. That's yeah. just going to be a little bit of the normal wear and tear stuff. There should metal be Metal particles, especially metal particles that you can feel or metal particles all crusted up on the magnet are going to indicate a problem yeah shouldn't be any metal or or not much metal in there and when you when you take that filter out for the last time go ahead and break it open and open up the sock and look inside it because anything that didn't get caught on the magnet is going to be caught in that sock Mm -hmm. and if you find a piece of a snap ring or a piece of a, a band or something in there then you know yeah, yeah, you're you, not gonna you know long. to make your precaution. You know, yeah. Well, you know, I'm pretty short on life here, so you got to kind of just start deciding: am I going to just drive it till it drops, or do I want to preemptively start saving up? Huh? Yeah, right. save it up and, and that. And you know, the old wise tale. I know you kind of alluded to it in email, and people will say, "Well, I never serviced my transmission, and then I serviced it and it went out." Right. Well, the service did not make it go out. I, I, it was yeah, a lack I, of service. Right. You know, the I, problem I was already there. And, where that comes from, many, many people will drive a car until they have a problem and then Bingo hopefully it. bring it in for service, right. thinking that's going to fix it. And, no, the problem already existed. But a yeah. proper service can never, ever, ever hurt the car. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. And to may know. extend the life. So, Man, I tell you, there's so much misinformation about dropping the pan as opposed to flushing. Do not flush. No. A flush is absolutely useless from a mechanical standpoint. Gets less fluid out than dropping the pan does and yeah. can damage the car in, in certain conditions. All the manufacturers have recommend against the flush. Yeah. Now, the dealerships yeah. is not the manufacturer. That's a guy who owns a, wow. ca- a car dealership who wants to make a lot of money. Where flushes come from is they require a C-Tech at best and not an A-Tech. And it's fast and easy. He can put a little machine on there and go do something else. He can be making money on two cars at one time. It makes a lot of money. That's why they sell them. But yeah. not, not yeah. good for the car at all. One other quick question. Mm-hmm. My, drive, my wife drives a 2013 Honda Pilot. Mm-hmm. 
And looking on the internet, I see there's no changeable filter. That is correct. That right. Mm-hmm. Well, there may right. be a, there may be a filter on the outside. It's not the main filter. Most of those do have a filter on the outside you can change, but it's a secondary okay. filter. The main filter is built inside the case, and there's no pan. So the only way to change the filter is to take the transmission out and take it apart. Oh, on wow. those, I would be if it was my car, I would be servicing that every thirty thousand miles, and I would do it with a double drain and fill. That is where you fill it. You drive it for about 20 minutes, come back, immediately drain it again. Because when you turn it off, the fluid runs back through the screen in there and, and will wash some bottom. of it out. And if you immediately drain it, you can get a lot of the trash out of the filter that way. Okay. But I believe there is an external filter on that one also. Subsequent years, Honda has come out with an external filter on a lot of their cars. And I couldn't swear that one has it, but most of them do. Man, Just, and it, it's not too hard, it's not, not too hard to change. On that if I'm not mistaken, that transmission has a big plug right on the top, kind of toward the back, toward the firewall. Okay. It takes a 17-millimeter socket, a long extension, and the first time it usually takes a breaker bar to get it out. That's where we refill at. So when Other you, than the uh, dipstick tube? Right. Other than the dip, The dipstick tube is small, if I remember right, on that okay. model, and it is difficult to get the fluid back into it. It takes a long time, but if you'll take that big plug out the top, it's got a copper ring on it, so don't lose the copper ring. Take it out. You can dump the fluid, the three quarts, three and a half quarts back in right there. Put the cap back on it. Go drive it 10, 15 minutes. Come yep. back, pull the plug out the bottom, and check the magnet when you pull the plug out. Because it's got a magnet on the end on of the, the drain the plug. plug. Mm-hmm. Drain plug. Just make, oh, sure okay. make sure there's no metal component stuck to it. Mm-hmm. And put but it back you do in. Have to- if you do that every 30,000 miles, yeah. you probably never have to worry about the filter. Exactly. Rather than dropping the transmission, pull the filter out, do this? No, no, no. There is an external filter on most of the newer ones that you can replace separately. But yeah. if you do it every 30,000 miles, you probably really don't have to worry about the filter too much. Okay. It, because but the fluid this, is always clean, car, right? getting all the trash out. Okay. But for this one, the 2013, mm-hmm. which if it's the main filter is in the transmission. Correct. I it's need inside. to bring it in and, and let well, you no, guys. Well, no, that filter problem. is not ever serviced. Oh. The, you, oh. you service that one, you rebuild the transmission. Right. You it, got, it's it's oh. pretty much there. You yeah. can't do anything with it. Okay, uh, so the, there's no uh, service. No, it's no. non-serviceable. But like uh, Lewis was saying, the way it's set it up, used, the fluid, when you turn the car off, the fluid runs back through it, and it oh. runs the trash down to the bottom to the reservoir oh. where you can take That's the That's why you do a double drain and fill. Okay, so You're basically cleaning it every time you service it. That's why you want to do it about every 30,000 miles. Okay. And that so way you prevent the problem. Oh, absolutely. It's easy. It's, it's easy as an oil change. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. Right. I appreciate your advice there. All right, Donnie. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. One more quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more in the automotive hour. Hey, Mike. Heading out for your run? <laughs> I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep. Did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm going to get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, you know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. 
Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, and got Mr. Brian Terry right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, three tools, we try to answer any automotive question you might have. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. We were talking a little bit about terminology and right. communications and such in the automotive business, some of the things that cause problems for customers and shops as well. And a lot of that has to do with ordering parts, and some of it has to do with trying to make your wishes clear. And I guess everybody considers what they do as being normal. Right. But you got to remember there are many, many, many variations out there. And so what may be normal to you is not normal to the next guy. And when you use terms, kind of ambiguous terms, like feels like it's running out of gas, well, that doesn't really mean anything to a technician. Right. Because, I mean, what does that mean? You need to specifically say what it's doing. When I'm driving 60 miles an hour, all of a sudden, the power goes down and the tachometer drops, and then it'll pick back up again after about five seconds. Now, that's something that, he can deal with. Right. That to a technician means something. Right. If you say, well, it feels like it's running out of gas, well, okay, but what does that feel like? Right. Did it die? Did, Did it, it just, just lose power? Right. Did it stumble? You know, what exactly does that feel like? It's just not clear enough. You've basically diagnosed the, the problem yourself incorrectly most of the time. Mm-hmm. And it's going to send him off on a tangent at best. And some shops will take that literally and start looking for fuel pump problems. Right. And you'll get a fuel pump on an intermittent problem, and nobody knows if it fixed it or not. Right. That's, that's right. Well, any, any number of things can happen. Now, another thing that confuses people an awful lot, we run across this, is the difference in right and left. We run across that every day. Now, in the United States of America and on cars, mm-hmm. the left is always the driver's side. The right is always the passenger side. Correct. There's the right left is assuming a driver sitting in, in the, seat. the seat. And to Looking his forward. left is the driver's side. To his right is the passenger side. Now, obviously, if you live in England or one of the United Kingdom companies where they're driving the other side of the road, that's going to be different because the driver's side is on the The only time you, we usually run into that is we get a male Jeep that is a uh, right-hand drive right-hand instead drive. of a left-hand drive. Mm-hmm. But even then, driver's side and passenger side on that terminology would right. would cover that is a term that is going to work in this area because the united states canada mexico we all drive on, on the right hand side of the street uh-huh so we're, the driver is going to be on the left hand side of the vehicle right now if you go to a parts store and you're not sure about it just tell him passenger or driver, driver. and he's going to make the conversion sure but his mind is going to work right and left and there's in the shop we usually try to use passenger and driver because it's easier for customers to understand that and mm-hmm. prevents problems the only problem you run into is if you're standing in front of the vehicle looking at it then you're left and right or backwards right but when you're sitting in the driver's seat the driver's side is always the driver's side right so that it works out better that way yeah and but when i order the parts i have to convert that back to right and left because all parts catalogs and all left parts and right. information is working on right and left. Right. So yeah, it just depends on the way you're facing. It's one of my pet peeves. I know when people give directions, they'll say turn right. Uh-huh. But <laughs> which, again, which direction which are we direction coming, coming from? from? We were chatting before the break, and you know, in New Orleans, they renumbered the streets. They used to, at one time, the 100 block basically went several blocks. Uh-huh. And, and around 1895, they came back, and they started at the river. And if you get to... Decatur, that's the 100 block. When you get to Charters, that's the 200 block. When you get to Royal, that's the 300 block, and so on. They also started at Canal Street, 
and the 100 block would be Iberville, the 200 block would be Bienville, 300 block would be Conti as you're walking away. But it said the even numbers are on the right. Okay, right facing which way? Exactly. But what they intended was, for instance, on one of the streets, if you're facing the river on your right will be the even streets. Uh Uh-huh. But again, you say right and left, it can be confusing depending on which way you're standing. Exactly. So, yeah, that's something that gives a lot, lot, lot of trouble. Another one of those things that causes some confusion, and that is four-wheel drive and all-wheel drive. Right. And technically, they are the same thing because a car has four wheels, and if all of them are driving, it's four-wheel drive. drive. But I guess on some level, there may be some differences there in that, most of the time, four-wheel drive relates to a truck or something. Exactly. Sometimes you can engage and disengage it. In other words, you can put it in two-wheel drive, and you can shift it into four-wheel drive. Right. On an all-wheel drive, all four wheels pull all, all the, the time. time. There's, There's nothing no to engage, out. no disengagement, and all that. And they have a big device built into the transfer case, sort of a differential clutch sort of assembly that allows that to happen. Because what happens when you take the four wheels and tie them together, if you are going around a corner, the inside wheel does not turn as far as the outside wheel. So, therefore, it turns the outside wheel turns a little faster. It has to turn faster, and that's the case with every vehicle because it's wide, six feet, five and a half feet wide. You're going around two different radius. Correct. And so the outside wheel always has to turn faster than the inside wheel to keep up because it's going a further distance in the same turn. And if you combine that to four wheels, you lock them together. If you ever had a four-wheel drive truck locked in four-wheel drive. Put it on the street. Put it on concrete and try to roll it. It's not very pleasant. It wants to jerk and jump, and the steering wheel wants to pull back. It's because you're forcing these wheels to turn at at different speeds, and they're not designed to do that. Now, a four-wheel drive truck where you can engage and disengage is not designed to run on the road. That is designed for off-road use. The way that works is that when you're in the mud, the tires simply slip. Mm-hmm. Or if you're in the dirt or the grass or gravel or whatever, in a slip condition, you can do that because the wheels can slip. If you put it on concrete where the wheels cannot slip, you're probably going to tear something up. Right. You in put fact, a lot some, of pressure on it. Some of them will lock up if you drive them far enough. You put it in four-wheel drive on the highway and start driving it to 70, 80 miles, yeah. it's going to get hot. It may even lock up on you and quit rolling. And yep. It may cool off and start again. It may not. All-wheel drive is designed with all that in in there. It's got a viscous clutch of some sort. It's got something that is allowed to slip so that when you're in that situation, even on concrete, it can deal it can, with it. It can slip, but when you apply power, it locks the wheels back together. Right, and there's all what sorts of ways they do oh, that, yeah. either clutches or centrifugal weights that sling out. Some of them are even electronic yep. and, and have sensors on the wheels. So they use all sorts of different ways. One last little thing on an all-wheel drive car. If you do have one of those vehicles, they recommend if you replace a tire, let's say you've got the tires are three-quarters of the way worn out and you damage one, you can't put just one tire on the car. Correct. Because now that tire is going to be taller than the other three, which is going to be rotating all these clutches and stuff at an abnormal rate and can damage the car. Correct. On those, they usually recommend all tires be replaced at the same time. So kind of an added expense. Now, if you live up, in New England somewhere was a lot of snow on the road. They are great because oh, yeah. they can handle stuff that a two-wheel drive can't handle. But always, like anything else, with something good, you're going to get something you don't want. <laughs> you do have to replace all the tires pretty much at the same, same time. time. Let's go back to our phone lines with Craig. Good morning, Craig. Uh, yes, sir. I got a 2008 Toyota Camry. And when we first take off driving, the brakes are good. 
but if you hit them a couple of times, like in traffic, the pedal gets hard like the power booster's out. It gets hard to stop the car, or does it just get or high, the pedal high and it just doesn't want to press as much? It don't want to press, in other words. No but does it still it. stop? Yeah, well, yeah. But it's just much, much but, more pedal effort to stop the car? The reason yeah, I'm asking is that can be two different things. Well, you, in other words, you got to have a good leg to stop it. Uh-huh. Yeah. you got to press hard. Man, that kind of sounds like the booster, like you said. Craig, how long do you have to drive it? Not far. A quarter of a mile. Mm-hmm. And what, I'm what? Looking, I looked all underneath the dash looking for the power booster because it's not mounted outside. Now, if it does not have a power booster, like a vacuum booster, that could be one where the ABS module is the booster. Some of them have a hydraulic. Is there a big thing on the master cylinder, like a big block with a bunch of lines going into it? No. It's just got your two lines coming off the master cylinder. And the master's behind the engine. And, and the master is bolted all... to the firewall? Yep. There's nothing between the master and the firewall? No, sir. Now, all the lines come over here to the ABS system. I mean, that sounds like manual brakes. Yeah, and I don't remember Toyota making a manual brake. Man, I haven't ever seen one. I'm not saying they don't, but it would have to have some kind of a booster on it. I mean, some of them have a big electronic booster, which is part of the ABS unit, but if you've got a separate, I mean, you may have a manual brake car. Yeah, it's possible. And what generally happens, has any work been done on the car, Craig? No, sir. You know, it kind of sounds like, the pad material may be an aftermarket brake material or something, and when it gets hot, it loses the coefficient of friction. If it's manual brakes anyway, it can stop fine when it's cold, but once that coefficient starts to change, you really, really notice it more than you would on a power brake car. But, but I mean, I, if there's the no booster thought, there, it, can't, it, yeah, it has to be a manual brake car, which is going to make any condition in the conventional brakes much more noticeable. Okay, and... We'll see the check engine light started coming on. Okay. And the code is a P0171, which is a lean, lean and right. lean. lean. Lean code. But, again, if there's no booster there. It doesn't matter. You, know, you might. Where are you calling from, Craig? Denham Springs. You might want to bring that by. Yeah. Let me take a look at it and see if there's not a booster somewhere that's just getting overlooked. But or or call dealer and give them the VIN number off the car on that little tag on the windshield. Yes, and ask them if that's power brakes or manual brakes, because they can tell you from the VIN number. And okay. if it is a manual brake car, I would suspect something in the brake material is probably not exactly right. And when it gets hot, it doesn't have the right friction coefficient. And with the manual brakes, you just really, really notice it. You know, Where, it's, it's gonna get whereas, really, whereas when it's cold, it's, it's yeah. adequate, you know. Or if you had power brakes, if you, had power brakes, you, you probably wouldn't, wouldn't notice it at all because you got enough power there to do it. Yeah, well, the reason I'm saying power booster is because when you first start off and you, you hit the brakes, it's mm-hmm. normal. The pedal goes down like it's supposed to right. with the cushion in it. Mm-hmm. But after you do it a couple of times, that pedal is hard. I well, mean, now, the pedal is rising up. More likely what you've got is that that master cylinder is either out of adjustment or the seals are swollen up and is blocking the return ports. Ooh. Now, if someone put the wrong fluid in the master cylinder, like if someone accidentally added power steering fluid to that master cylinder, those seals will swell up and it will certainly start doing that. And that's yep. very, very dangerous because you'll lose your brakes. So this this needs to really get checked. What I would do is pull the cap off the master cylinder and see if the rubber is swole up any in, in the cap. Okay. If it is, you got a big problem on your hands. Somebody's probably put some type of petroleum in the brake system, swole up the seals. 
uh, the reason I actually have never been worked on, if somebody took the master cylinder off and turned that little push rod in there, that will do the same thing. But it sounds like the fluid's being blocked, and so when it gets hot and expands, that pedal's coming up rock hard, which is kind of a different thing from mm-hmm. what I'm assuming. I thought you were talking about it just didn't stop very well. But, yeah, the pedal's coming up rock hard, and not. it sounds like eventually if you drive it enough, the, the wheels may even start locking up on you. Okay. Well, that's what I'm afraid of. Mm-hmm. My son drives this car. Definitely need to get that to somebody and let yeah. them inspect it and make sure the wrong fluid hadn't been poured into it because that's kind of what it's sounding like. All righty. I'll definitely take care of it. Okay, man. Thank you. Thanks, Craig. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. We're going to go ahead and take our final little break, but we'll be right back with a whole lot more. So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? (laughs) No, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. (laughs) Wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe. And I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. (laughs) Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call, 291-6901. Still got a few minutes left. Try to answer whatever might be bugging you. We were talking a little bit today about just names and how they vary mm-hmm. one car to another and so on as that. Another, we don't see this as much anymore, but back when they used to use idle control valves, a lot on engines yeah now almost everything is drive by wire and the motor on the throttle body handles idle also correct so you really don't see those as much any longer but when they did some companies would call it idle control valve some would call it idle control motor some would call it a servo some would call it a solenoid and so on as that again just different names for the same part exactly and it just kind of would confuse things Another thing is like on Toyota, a lot of the transmission filters, they call a A screen. screen. Yeah, I've noticed that. And I think it's just when they convert it from Japanese to English, something was lost in the translation because it is not a screen per se. No, it's a a filter. filter. And I've even heard people say, well, that never has to be changed because it's a screen. No, 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 no. (laughs) It's just a difference in terminology. It's it's, It's a matter of semantics. It's still a filter. It still needs to be changed. So don't be fooled by something like that because it can kind of, I guess, point you off in the wrong direction. Sure. Another thing that we don't come across as much is back in the old days when you had the short, long arm front ends. Right. A lot of people would call a control arm an A arm. Because it was kind of shaped in the shape of an A. It was. And that's kind of where it got its name from. But one place would call it an A arm. One place would call it a control arm. And it, again, just confusing. You know, somebody said, I need A-arm bushings. Uh-huh. And you kind of knew what 
they meant, but it was really not the proper terminology for it. And some of them are simple like that, and you can kind of get it from what they're saying. You know about what they're talking about, but mm-hmm. others are just totally oh yeah, off the wall, out there. <laughs> <laughs> I had a client that had emailed, and he said he went to the Toyota dealership. He's got a fairly new, I think it's 2013 model car. And the guy told him he was rotating the tires. He says, next time you come in and have your tires rotated, we're probably going to have to replace some of these lug nuts because they're warped. Okay. I've never heard of a warped lug nut. I've heard of stripped ones and broken ones. but Worn ones worn, where the face yeah. of it will wear. And I'm sure it was just a poor choice of words on his part. Right. You know, he probably meant worn. Yeah, but to you and I, that means something totally different. Yeah, warped is like it's wobbling. Right. Side to side. Or it's not It's not straight. You know, it, it's got a curve in it or something like that. Yeah. yeah. That I don't know how exactly that would apply to, to that. But, yeah. again, there's all sorts of little things like that. Some are just kind of funny like this and, and yeah. more or less harmless. But others can cause a lot of problems. Oh, yeah. So the point is, and I've got an article on my website, and it says customers are from Venus and shops are from Mars. Right. And it goes into the way a technical mind works as opposed to a general mind, which you got people out there in the general population who are pretty technically oriented, obviously. Sure. But a lot of folks, they just drive a car, and some of them know a little bit about it. Some of them don't know anything about it at all. But when you start communicating with a person who his entire world is cars, fixing cars, he's going to have a very precise and different thought process. Right than the average person is. And when the two of them start to communicate, it can really, really cause a lot of issues. So I wish everybody, if you get time, go to my website and just type in Mars, Venus, something like that. It'll bring up that article and just read it. And it may really solve a lot of problems for you if you understand how a technical mind works and how best to communicate with them. Mm Mm-hmm. And I see we are just about out of time. And you start winding it on up. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends and go to your favorite broadcast service or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Find the written <laughs> review and fill it out for us. There you go. And what the written reviews do, if you give us a positive review, it moves us up to where when people type in auto repair, we come up close to the top of the list. So more people click on us, more people click on us the more we keep doing the show. There you go. <laughs> if nobody clicks, we got to get out of here. <laughs> and if you can't find a place for a written review, just go to Google and type in Agco Automotive, name of our company, and you can put a review there also. Perfect. That'd help just as well. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.